We're continuing our series Waiting. Kicked this off last week, how we looked at waiting is a really normal part of the uh, the life of faith, the life of a Christian. We follow a God, Isaiah 64, 4, we follow a God who acts for those who wait for him. And we can often think that the waiting in Christianity is what we do, that we are, we, we've got to learn patience while we wait for God. We, we're waiting for God to act or do something in some way. And what's that uh, very often is true, we often miss the fact that God himself is a waiting God. We're in Isaiah chapter 30 uh, in the Old Testament today, and uh, the key verse that we're kind of looking in on is Isaiah 30 verse 18, talks about who God is, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. So all that we know, right, about God is revealed by God through his word, in his word. Right at the beginning of the Bible story in the book of Exodus to Moses, in Exodus 34, 6, God says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He describes who he is, a God who waits, a God of patience. Right near the end of the book of the Bible, in, in Peter, in chapter two, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 says this, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is patient. God waits. And we see that to be true throughout the Bible story. We haven't the time to look today properly, but we see story after story, character after character, God waits. He's patient. And if you're a believer, you need to know that's very good news for you. If you're not a believer, you need to know that's very good news for you. God's desire is that none should perish, that we all reach repentance. But if you're a believer, this is also really good news. 2 Peter 3 verse 15 we should, says we should count the patience of our Lord as salvation. It is very good that the Lord is patient. It is very good that God waits. His justice waits. His grace waits. His mercy waits. Let's spend some time these next few moments in Isaiah chapter 30. Now, just to set this a little bit into some context, it's set in the sort of 8th century BC, right in the thick of a uh, national emergency, really. Huge political decisions are being made. There's this huge threat to Israel from the advancing Assyrian Empire. They're sort of massing on the borders, and God's people are hugely concerned about this threat from the Assyrians. They're hugely concerned about their security and their safety, and so they're faced with a choice. Do they trust God or do they trust in other things? And like so often in the biblical story, they are faithless and they put their trust in the nation of Egypt. They think that Egypt rather than God will protect them against the Assyrians. The Assyrians, they are fearful of them and they think we need to be protected. And they say Egypt is a big superpower. They've got armies. It's like, yes, God, we trust you. But look at the threat there. Look how serious it is. We need someone to protect us. We need an army. Egypt, they're a big superpower. They're really willing. They're just there. Let's trust them. Let's look at verse one of Isaiah 30. Ah, stubborn children 
declares the Lord, who carry out a plan, but not mine, and who make an alliance, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction, to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Rather than turning to God, the people add sin to sin, we're told here. And God says the very thing that's going to protect you, think is going to protect you, that's actually the thing that's going to bring you down. Look at verse 3. Therefore shall the protection of Pharaoh turn to your shame and the shelter in the shadow of Egypt to your humiliation. Now, let's just be clear. There is, of course, a, a very real threat to their safety and their security. But Isaiah recognizes that actually the bigger threat to the people of God comes from an unwillingness to trust God. And that stems from not believing his word. Jump down to verse 12 with me of Isaiah 30. Therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perverseness and rely on them, therefore this iniquity shall be to you like a breach in a high wall, bulging out and about to collapse, whose breaking comes suddenly in an instant, and its breaking, and its breaking is like that of a potter's vessel that is smashed so ruthlessly that among its fragments not a shard is found with which to take fire from the hearth and to dip up water out of the cistern. These are strong words here. This, this is a pretty stark warning. What we see here is, is human faithlessness on display. Remember, the Bible tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God in Hebrews 11. That, that's what he's looking for. That's what he responds to, faith. And we see faithlessness in action here when it's dressed up as human wisdom. There is a real genuine challenge. There is a, a real problem that they're facing, but they think the answer is to trust in human strength, in human ingenuity, in human plans. How quick we are, so often the people of God, to look to other things, to look to other saviors, to look to other securities, other things that we think is going to protect us from potential harm. There are two things going on here. First is that there is a lack of faith and that stems from a rejection of the word. They, there's a lack of faith. And then as a consequence of the lack of faith, of not trusting God's word, there's an action that looks wise, but really it simply solidifies the lack of faith in God. Let me uh, give you a, a, a real life example. So Catherine earlier, uh, just a few moments ago, was talking about giving and money and why we give and the whole issue of our finances. And here's the thing, what we do with our money has always been a discipleship issue. Giving has always been an act of worship. It's a trust issue. It's who or what do we trust? Do we trust God when he says, give of your first fruits and we trust him with that? Or do we trust us and trust man and trust money and think, no, actually, I need this. And therefore, because it's a worship issue, because it's a trust issue, it's a faith issue. 
And it's a bit like, Lord, I know your word says to trust you with my finances and with everything and to give first fruits to you. But look at the current economic situation here, God. There's a crisis looming. And, and so actually, I think cutting here and, and making sure that I have 100% of my money rather than 90%, well, that's kind of wise and prudent, surely, because, well, look. And truthfully, we could do, use that example in every single area of our life. When you stop listening to God's voice, you begin to look elsewhere and you begin to look at what we call functional saviors, alternatives, other things to help you, to secure you, to strengthen you. Functional saviors are, are when you're under threat or um, when you're disappointed or when you feel insignificant or insecure or disaffected or dissatisfied or discontent and you look around and you think and you say to yourself, what? What can I go to? What can get me through? Where do I turn? A functional savior is something that uh, we think will resolve our crisis, something that will get us through, something that will make it all good, something that brings security, something that brings significance and brings satisfaction. And right here in Isaiah 30, the people of God do just that. They empty their treasures, their temples, they pack up their animals with all of their most precious things and they go to the superpower of the region and they say, would you please, in exchange for all that we have, everything that we've got, everything that's precious to us, in exchange for that, would you help protect us? And just like it always does, Egypt took all of the treasure but never came through. Verse 7 says, Egypt's help is worthless and empty. It's worthless and empty. That's ultimately what happens with all of our functional saviors they may look like they work for a while but they'll always disappoint us in the end they're worthless ultimately and empty now you can identify your functional saviors pretty easily to be honest i mean it's an uncomfortable exercise but it's not that difficult we're all facing this moment of challenge and frustration and tension and difficulty in different ways throughout covid19 and your functional saviour is the thing that you kind of fills in the blank of, well, this is hard, this is bad, but as long as I have, then I'll be okay. And what you put in that blank, as long as I have my health, as long as I have money in the bank, as long as I have job security, as long as I have a position, dare I say it, as long as I have my family even, those things become functional saviours that may work for a while, but in the end... They don't fully work. They'll disappoint us or alienate us in some way. Look at verse 1 again of Isaiah 30 for a moment. It says, The people have added sin to sin. Now, this is an echo of that other big Old Testament prophet, Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 2.13, he says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me. That's the lack of faith right there. The fountain of living waters. And then there's an action and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. See, what happens is there is a lack of faith. They've forsaken God. And so they choose instead of going to the streams of living water, they choose to make their own cisterns. And actually, those things don't work. And that's how it flows. Human action as a result of lack of faith leads to is not good. Romans 14, 23 tells us that whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. That's the order. Lack of faith leads to human action, which equals sin to sin, mess to mess, problem to problem. 
And the truth of the matter is, so often these things, these functional saviors that we turn to, they're not bad things. In and of themselves, there is absolutely nothing wrong with them. In fact, most of them are very, very good things. Until we say, I have to have this or else. Until we say, if I don't have this, then there's no way of me getting through. If I don't have this, then there's no way I can be secure or content or satisfied or happy. And truthfully, we all do it. Or at least we're all in grave danger of doing it. And there's a grave warning here to set aside the word of God, to put trust anywhere else, is to guarantee disaster. And in the end, if you read through it, you see following that path, it leads to nothing remaining. Verse 17, there's this image that there's nothing left but a flagpole to show that there once upon a time was people here. It's a bit like, do you remember them? What, what happened to them? It's just a flagpole left that reminds us that they were once there, but they're not anymore. And it's into this context, the faithlessness of the people, comes the stunning truth of verse 18. Here, Isaiah turns to the faithfulness of God. Therefore, verse 18, the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. This is the logic of grace. God's people forsake him for a false salvation. Therefore, he's gracious to them. Staggering grace of God. God's people spurn his word. God keeps his word. God's people are faithless. God is faithful. You see, where God's people are concerned, the voice of judgment, however deserved, never has the last word. It's like, whoa, whoa, warning, whoa, warning, whoa. Welcome. Hear those words now, right where you are, over and over again. Hear them again. Grace and mercy to you. Grace for our inadequacy. Mercy for our failure. The Lord waits to be gracious to you. And we see in these next few verses the stunning implication of his grace and his mercy. This is grace in action. The first thing we see is that he gives us a dwelling place, a home, a place where we belong. Look at verse 19. For a people shall dwell in Zion in Jerusalem. You know, in in answer to our loneliness and in answer to our isolation, when we're threatened with being alone and displaced, he says, you will have a home. You will belong. This is Zion, the dwelling place of God, where you now belong. It was that wonderful song we heard earlier from Gordon, where where, here's where I will stay in his presence. Here's where I'll know peace and joy. I have a dwelling place, a home, a place with God in his presence. And then the second thing we see in verse 19 is you shall weep no more. Shall weep no more. In answer to our grieving, he says, your tears will end. He will make all things new. Joy will come. No more tears. No more pain. No more suffering. That is coming fully one day. And in his grace and his mercy, the Lord is our healer. Look at verse 26. The Lord binds up the brokenness of his people and heals the wounds inflicted by his blow. Let's just be clear. There is a consequence to sin. We live in a fallen world. It's broken. But the promise of God, he will bind you up and he will heal you. 
And then look at verse 19 of the next bit. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. He hears and he responds. In, our, in answer to our sense of abandonment, he hears and he responds. Now, it's not like Siri or Alexa. Go ahead. We're not having time to explore here how kind of prayer works, but he is gracious to us. We don't deserve it. We so often fall short, and yet he hears and he responds. Prayer works. And then look at the fourth promise. He promises to shepherd us, to lead us through every situation and circumstance. Look at verse 20. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and water of affliction... Yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. That's an incredible promise. Even though we will walk through adversity and affliction, he will not hide himself from us. He will lead us through. Now we've got to understand that biblically when it uses the phrase turning to the left or turning to the right, it basically means you're not following the proper path. And so the picture here is God saying, even though you get it wrong, even though you wander off to the left or to the right, even in your immaturity, even in your foolishness, even in your disobedience, even in your faithlessness, where you trust in the wrong things, the shepherd still promises that he won't drop you. He still promises that he will see you through. And then the final promise we see in these verses, look at verse 30. He promises to fight our battles on the way. And the Lord will cause his majestic voice to be heard and the descending blow of his arm to be seen in furious anger and a flame of devouring fire with a cloud burst and storm and hailstones. The Assyrians will be terror stricken at the voice of the Lord when he strikes with his rod. Wow. Now, it's a promise that the Assyrians will be defeated, but they were really small fry compared to everything else. This is just a foretaste of his final victory. See, on the cross, Jesus defeated the forces of sin and Satan and death. And one day, every enemy of God, every enemy of justice, every enemy of righteousness will be crushed fully and finally. And here's the invitation to each of us today. Lay down your idols. Lay down your functional saviors. Stop putting your trust there. When faced with challenge, when faced with difficulty, uncertainty, where are you going to go? What are you going to do? How are you going to protect yourself? How are you going to stay secure? Look at verse 15 with me. For thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. Salvation, security, peace, strength, contentment, identity. It's not in a hive of activity that we will find these things. It's not in rushing around that we'll find these things. It's not in living in anxiety or fearfully trying to protect what we have that we'll find these things. It's not in doing loads of stuff or accumulating loads of stuff where we find security and peace and contentment and identity. It's not even in our doing. It's definitely not in our functional saviors. It's in returning and rest, 
in quietness and in trust. That thing that if you're a Christian first brought you salvation, trust in him, faith in him, that still is in every situation the way of strength, the thing that will see you through. But we have to choose it. You have to be willing. Look at, again, back into verse 16, the warning, 15, 16, the warning to Israel, but you were unwilling. And you said, no, we'll flee upon horses. We'll trust in other things, God, thank you. God says, therefore, you shall flee away. And we will ride upon our swift steeds. They're the things that will protect us. And God says, therefore, your pursuers shall be swift. I've said this before to you. Every warning in scripture is actually an invitation. Don't do that. Do this instead. Let your faith result in action that is grounded in the word of God. Return to Jesus. He waits to be gracious to you. He waits to give you the security of a dwelling place with him to welcome you into his presence. He waits to give, bring you healing. He waits to hear you. He waits to shepherd you in each and every situation you face to lead you through. He waits to fight your battles. Like we said last week, this is really easy when life is good. When everything uh, kind of uh, goes as it should, it's quite easy to trust the Lord. But faith is not just for days of sunshine. It gets tested when the pressure is on. And it's in those moments of struggle, it's in those moments of trial, it's in those moments of difficulty when we just can't see how it's all going to work out well. It's into those moments that Jesus' words to his first disciples in John chapter 1, verse 39, speak to us. Come, says Jesus, and you will see. Come to me, receive me, and you will see. And it's an invitation that I must actively take up because look what happens just from John 1 alone. Look what happens when we do. Verse 12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We become children of God. And look at verse 16, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Here's, here's what's going on here. He calls us. He invites us. He makes us his children. We're the children of God now, sons and daughters. What affection the father has for his children. And then he waits for us. He waits in our mess. He waits in our wobbles. He waits in our kind of confusion. He waits in our poor decisions. He waits to be gracious to us. And if you're anything like me, we get it wrong so often. And sometimes, going to finish shortly, sometimes we imagine God prefers punishment to pardon. We kind of imagine that he's somehow disappointed with us, that he, if we haven't got it right, so he recoils from us. <laughs> Nothing could be further from the truth. There is always more that's right in Jesus than that's wrong in us. There's always more grace in him than there is mess and brokenness in us. There's always more forgiveness and mercy in him than there is sin and junk in us. He's always willing. And as we come to him, nothing puts him off us. Just think for a moment some of those stories in the New Testament. Think of the leper, the most contagious and off-putting person imaginable. Jesus immediately welcomes him and immediately says, be clean, and he is. Think of the woman caught in adultery, just the absolute real tragic mess of her life. Jesus doesn't condemn her. He welcomes her. He loves her. He forgives her. And he says, go sin no more. 
Think of the man whose daughter has died, just grief and pain in the extreme. Into that broken mess, Jesus brings healing and comfort and peace. Think of the harassed and helpless crowds. Scripture tells us he has compassion on them. He sees them and he has compassion on them. Jesus wept over them. Think of the doubters, the fearful, the anxious. He doesn't reject them. He doesn't get frustrated with them. He doesn't condemn them. In each and every situation, Jesus meets them with grace and with mercy. You know, we can't mess him up. You know that, right? Our mess can't mess him up. He can only make us clean. We can't dirty him. The great and beautiful exchange is that he can only bring us cleanliness. Come and you will see, says Jesus. Return to me, Isaiah chapter 30 says. Return to me, says the Lord. Returning literally means repentance. We return, we repent, and it literally means we turn around. My faith was there. I was trusting in these things, and it was doing nothing but adding sin onto sin, mess upon to mess. And so I literally turn around, and I turn here, and now my faith it leads to action that is grounded in the word. I stop doing that, and I start doing that. I lay that down, I pick that up. I stop looking there, and I start looking there. I literally turn repentance. And as I turn, turn, as I repent, his grace comes rushing. It's no longer sin to sin, but grace to grace. Does it mean I carry on sinning? By no means. It means I turn, I stop, and I start knowing this. However deep our mess goes, his holiness goes deeper. However challenging or impossible our situation, his love never fails. However anxious and fearful we are, there is a promise of peace. We will never, never, never exhaust his grace. It's new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Let's pray as we finish. I just want to encourage you today to release your grip on your functional saviors. Return to the real one. He waits to be gracious to you. Where you are right now, you might want to just lift your hand. There's nothing hugely significant in that other than a, in a posture, as Catherine used that word earlier, a posture of responding to God. You may wish to stand, just focus your attention on him. Jesus, through this gospel, I thank you that my permanent address is now in Christ. I thank you that my eternal song is no condemnation. I will never be held guilty for my sins. You have wiped me utterly clean of all that has ever made me dirty. And though my sins were like scarlet, you have washed them as white as snow. And so I, I, I wanna repent right now of where I've looked for confidence, of where I've looked for trust, of where I've looked for affirmation, security, identity. Help me right now, Lord, to begin to identify those things which I have put my trust in. Help me to unclench my grip from hanging on to all of those functional saviors. Help me to say to them, be gone, that I may have you, my true shepherd, my true savior, my true everlasting joy. Thank you that you are a God who waits. Your justice waits, your mercy waits, your grace waits. Thank you that you are waiting patiently for me to respond to you. I turn now. I don't want to be unwilling. I want to be willing. I want to turn now and put my trust fully in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we're 
finishing now. You might be somebody who's just stayed the course, well done, and doesn't know Jesus. We'd love to connect with you and introduce you to more about faith. Go to newcom.church forward slash connect. If you do know Jesus, but you know there are some things I, I've just got to kind of let go of and, uh, and lay down some functional saviors, it might be a good idea to pray with whoever you're with right now. Maybe even have a moment of just kind of confessing some of the things, some of the places where we're so tempted to look apart from Jesus. Some of those, as long as I have things, and then pray with one another. But thank you so much for tuning in today. The Lord waits for you. He's gracious to you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Lord, we thank you for that. Looking forward to seeing you on Wednesday night, our one church meeting. God bless.